Matthew 24, Jesus' Olivet Discourse is one of, if not the most famous prophecy chapters in the Bible. And Jesus said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars and there will be pandemics, but the end is not yet. These are the beginning of sorrows. On today's edition of End of the Age, we will analyze a portion of chapter 24, providing more proof that we truly are living in the end time. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Dave Robbins with End Time Ministries. Thank you for joining me on this edition of End of the Age. I trust you all had a good weekend. We had a great conference down in Marrero, Louisiana. We'll be in Richmond, Indiana this coming weekend, and so I'm looking forward to that. I was born and raised in that area, and so uh, looking forward to seeing many of you in Richmond. However, there's a lot going on in the news that we need to talk about. I wanted to go through Matthew chapter 24 today because we're living in the end time, folks. I mean, I don't, it's easily, I could go through so many prophecies to prove that. But Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, probably the most famous prophecy chapter in the Bible. A lot of people go to, you know, Daniel and Revelation and there's, there's prophecy all over, all throughout the Bible. But probably the most um, descriptive account of a uh, Jesus's account of the second coming and the rapture would be the Lord's account in uh, Matthew 24. Now, I want to pull a few excerpts from this, inject some current events, and we'll go down through here and I'll show you uh, what I'm talking about. Very important chapter. Matthew 24, verse 1 starts out, and Jesus went out. And departed from the temple. Jesus spent most of his time up in Galilee. uh, Around the Sea of Galilee up in there. And so he didn't spend much time in Jerusalem. If you study his travels and different things. Most of his. uh, Most of his. um, Well the word just left me. Miracles. (laughs) Were done up in and around Galilee. Around the Sea of Galilee. So. But. uh, Occasionally, he would come down into Jerusalem, and while he was down there, the, the uh, apostles were showing him the temple and the buildings around. And so, Matthew chapter 24, verse 1, the Bible says, And Jesus went out, departed from the temple. If you understand um, the way Jerusalem is set up, you had the Temple Mount, Kidron Valley, and then you have the Mount of Olives off to the east there, towards what would be the modern day West Bank or Judea and Samaria. So the Bible says that he, when he came out and he departed from the temple, his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. They were showing him things around. Hey, look at the, you know, how beautiful the temple is. And he looks at all of them and he says, sorry guys, but see not all these things. Barely I say unto you, they're all going to be torn down. There shall not be one stone left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Well, of course, you can imagine The temple, the center of Jewish life, 
And he just threw cold water in their face and said, hey, all this is going to be torn down. And the Bible says that they went out to the Mount of Olives. The Bible says as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came on him privately and said, uh, you know, <laughs> that statement you just made, that was pretty uh, revolutionary there. Tell us, when are all these things going to be? What's gonna, what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Now, when people hear the words end of the world, I mean, what do you think? When I say end of the world, what are you thinking? What, what time frame? The end of the world. Well, many people think immediately they associate that with the end of the world after the 1,000 year millennial reign, after the great right throne judgment, right? However, the word world here in the term end of the world in the original Greek is A-I-O-N. In many places in scripture that is translated as age. So because it does not, um, it does not refer to the end of all of humanity and the existence of the earth. Instead, this is referring to the end of this age that we're living in now. And it's at the time when Jesus Christ will come back for the rapture of his church and the battle of Armageddon. It's at the second coming. Matthew 24, 3. It's talking about the end of the time of human government. This is all at the seventh trumpet. I mean, there's so many scriptures we could tie in here. But it's at the end of the time of human government and the beginning of the kingdom of God at the time of the second coming, the 1,000 year millennial reign. Now, when Jesus is talking here, when they're asking him, tell us what's going to be the sign of your coming and of the end of this age. That's what he's referring to. He's not talking to after the great white throne of judgment at least a thousand years from now. He's talking about this this second coming, which is just fixing to happen. So in verse 4, the Bible says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Now, who's he talking to here? He's not talking to them because they had asked him a couple questions. What's going to be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? We want to know what it's going to be like then. So when he answers them, he's not talking. He's talking to them, but he's referring to us. The time in which we live right here at the time of the end of the age. So he's basically saying to us, hey, everybody in the you know, early 21st century, take heed that no man deceives you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. Now, a lot of people get hung up right here. Because what this is referring to is that there will be people that come and say, they'll say, hey, I'm, you know, take heed, no man deceives you. Many will come in my name and deceive many. Many will come and say, hey, we're Christians. We're coming to you in the name of Jesus Christ. We're, we're quote unquote Christians. But then Jesus said, but be careful because there will be people that are saying they're Christian, but they have a message of deception. And so... I want to give you a few examples of that because folks, we're in the end time. We're living, we're living out these words that Jesus spoke of as we speak. And the Baptist News Global, they ran an article June 9th, 2021. And they said that an Indiana church ordains a transgender minister. Now think about that. 
Think about what the Bible says. God created male and female, said it is good. And he told, uh, you know, hey, I'm going to I'm going to define a marriage as between a male and a female and you go procreate and it's all that's the way I want my world to function. And so to have a church where they would consider themselves, quote unquote, and I'm saying, quote unquote, Christian to ordain a transgender person in their pulpit. Think about that. Jesus said many would come in my name, but would deceive many. So we're going to talk about more of this and more chapter 24 when we get back from the break. Major internet companies are silencing and censoring Christian voices online. These companies are trying to control what you see and hear. Almost 200 videos of ours have been marked as restricted online right now. That's why we launched End of the Age Plus, a platform where the truth won't be censored, a platform where we can preach the message of the gospel. When you subscribe to End of the Age Plus today for just $12.99 a month, You can watch all of our content in a secure, easy-to-view way from your favorite device. When you go to watch.endtime.com and subscribe, you'll get instant access to all of our teaching resources, including Revelation, the Unveiling of Jesus Christ, Understanding the End Time, End Time Magazine, and so much more. We will not censor our message to comply with what the world deems as politically correct. Go to watch.endtime.com right now or search Into the Age Plus in the App Store or Google Play. We've seen Bible prophecy fulfilled like never before. From the halls of the United Nations to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, End Time Ministries continues to reveal the Bible prophecy in the news headlines around the world every day. Whether it's through our broadcast or online at our Jerusalem Prophecy College, your gifts enable us to put vital materials in the hands of those who need it most. Because of you, we continue to replace fear with faith. In the hearts of Christians around the world, we will continue to see prophecy come to pass at an even swifter pace. We need your support. Your donation of any amount enables us to continue to broadcast and be a voice in the ever-growing censored media. To become a partner or give a one-time gift, visit endtime.com or call 1-800-END-TIME right now. That's 800-363-8463. Go online now. Visit endtime.com. So and I know that this is kind of shocking information to some of you. A, a church ordaining a transgender individual into their pulpit. However, and I'm going to get into that in just a moment. I have a quick announcement. This coming weekend, uh, I will be in Richmond, Indiana at Calvary Church, 3600 State Road 121. Uh, and again, Richmond, Indiana, 47374. All the information is on our website. Saturday evening, this would be August 21st at 6 p.m., I will be at, uh, again, the Calvary Church in Richmond, and I'm going to be going through the big timeline, the, the, the future according to Bible prophecy. I'm telling you, you're going to want to hear it. You've never seen a timeline like this before. And then Sunday morning, August 22nd at 11 a.m., we'll be back at the Calvary Church in Richmond, Indiana, and I'll be doing Breaking Prophetic Fulfillments. And an always popular session is the Q&A at the end 
We had a lot of great questions in Marrero, Louisiana this past weekend. And I look forward to seeing many of you. If you're in between Indianapolis and Dayton, Fort Wayne and Cincinnati, anywhere in that big circle, come and see us in Richmond, Indiana. Be with us for a great conference. They had a mask mandate on in Marrero, Louisiana this last weekend. And we had a fabulous crowd. Tons of people came out. We signed up a ton of Bible studies. It was an awesome gathering. So anybody in Richmond, come to Richmond, Indiana and join us for that conference. It'll be awesome. And look forward to seeing you there. Now, so in Indiana, this was in June, they ordained a transgender minister. So the article states, I'm just taking a few excerpts from this because I want you to see the Bible says that Jesus said, take heed that no man deceives you, for many will come in my name and deceive many. So this individual was saying, hey, I'm a Christian. But they said, being the first known transgender person ordained by a cooperative Baptist fellowship affiliated congregation. Now, in the article, they refer to this individual as a, as a she. Well, I can't do that. Because there's no such thing as a man that turns into a woman. That I don't care how many pills you take, how many surgeries you have. There's no such thing as a man turning into a woman. So I'm saying this individual, Mr. Buckleiter, said that he now can live fully into his calling. The article says she and her. I'm saying he and his to share the gospel in genuine and countercultural ways. He said... He's 49 years old. He said, where I would start is authenticity. And I think Christ models authenticity for all of us. Buckleiter, who's 49, was ordained May 23rd at the University Baptist Church in Bloomington, Indiana. He was authentically divine. He states that Jesus Christ was authentically divine and authentically human. And he was so authentic that it caught everybody around him off guard. And... The article states, and being ordained as an openly transgender person will make Mr. Buckleiter a more effective minister. And University Baptist pastor Annette Hill Briggs told the Herald Times newspaper in Bloomington, it's a whole lot easier to tell the truth when you're not hiding a truth. If you're damning up the truth, the truth won't get through. What Jesus say would happen? Take heed that no man deceives you. Many will come in my name, deceiving many. Folks, we're living in the end time right now. In 2018, the Christian Today newspaper said, Why Jesus is no longer the one way to heaven for many American Christians. Folks, I'm telling you, you've got to know your Bible in the end time. Because there are going to be a lot of people that come in the name of Christ that will be deceiving many. Michael A. Walrond, Jr. of Harlem's 10,000 member First Corinthian Baptist Church, landed an ideological blow of his own in traditional Christendom. He said that there was a time when you could see people in the pulpit say, well, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell. He said, that's insanity in many ways, because that is not what Jesus even believes. He said that in a clip posted on Facebook. And 
He said, you know, people take many paths to God, he argued, noting that he personally celebrates the paths others take in finding him, even if that path does not involve faith in Jesus. Now, this guy's supposedly a pastor. And Walron said, and so the key is if you believe in God and whatever your path is to God, I celebrate that. Personally, I celebrate that. So that's a big thing in our society today is people refer to God, but they get offended if you say, well, Jesus is the only way. John 14, 6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Period. Jesus is the only way, folks. But Jesus said in the end time, in the end of the age, just before my second coming, take heed that no man deceives you for many will come even in my name, but deceiving many. We're there, everybody. One more example that there are Christian ministers who believe in abortion. On August of 2020, the Christian headline said that, hey, megachurch pastor, abortion is, in, is consistent with Christianity and I will fight to keep it legal. Many of you would know Ralph Warnock, who served as, the, as a senior pastor of the Ebenezer Baptist Church since 2005, and he's now a U.S. Senator from Georgia. In referencing his career as a minister and in public service, Warnock said, I have been focused on women's health, women's ability to choose, and reproductive justice, and that is consistent with my view as a Christian minister, and I will fight for it. So he's pro-abortion. But yet he says he's a Christian minister. Does that compute... Proverbs 6, verse 16 and 17 says, These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. How much more innocent can you get than a human being living inside of a woman? Abortion is diametrically opposed to the word of God, folks. But there are Christians, I'm going to say, quote unquote Christians, that claim to support abortion. Jesus said, take heed that no man deceives you. Many will come in my name, but deceiving many. In Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16, it says, for thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. God recognizes a child as a human being inside a mother's womb before it's born. And the Bible says, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee, God. When I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lower parts of the earth, thine eyes did see my substance. Yet being unperfect and in thy book, all my members were written, 
which is continuance were fashioned, in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. So folks, God recognizes birth, life from inception. And our conception. And so very, very important. God recognizes a baby as a human being separate from the mother. A lot of people say, well, no, it's the mother's choice what she does with her body. Well, it is the mother's choice. If you want to cut your hand off, you've got that choice. But that child inside of you is a different human being. Nobody has the right to take a child. So, but yet you've got Christian ministers, I'm saying quote unquote Christian people that advocate for and support abortion. What Jesus say in the end time, at the end of the age, take heed that no man deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming to be Christian, but will deceive many. Are we living in the end time? I get that question all the time. How can you guys prove we're living in the end time? I'm like, There are a million ways to prove we're living in the end time just prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. So continuing on down through Matthew chapter 24, I'm in verse six now. Jesus said, and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see that you be not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. What is the end that Jesus is referring to? I mean, it's, it's not the end of the world. Um, that is after the 1000 year millennial reign, the great white throne of judgment. It's not the end of the world when the human existence is done. That's not, he's referring to, he's referring to the, remember the end of this age or his second coming, the battle of Armageddon. So he said, hey, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. He said, but see that you be not troubled because the end, the second coming is not yet. We're not there yet. Now, I want you to consider, say, where are we at right now? NATO and the U.S. is pulling out of Afghanistan and the Taliban has taken over Kabul. So think about that. When over the weekend, everybody watched. I mean, the news sources are just exploding with what's going on in Afghanistan. But what did Jesus say? Take heed that no man deceives you. Many will come in my name, but they're going to be deceiving many. And you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. But he said, don't be troubled because the end is not yet. The end of this age. So I want to talk a little bit about what happened in Afghanistan, what's going on, what set all this up. Just to kind of give you an idea, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. I could talk about this for the rest of the week with China and Russia and, and uh, Turkey and everything that's going on around the world. But I know a lot of people really kind of want to know, well, hey, what's really going on behind um, this Afghanistan situation? Why is it all over the news? So I took mine from courts, but... I want to give you kind of a timeline of the U.S. engagement in Afghanistan. Many people who may be of, um, some of the people may be my age, 53 and up, we understand what happened, why why we went in there and things like that. But maybe some of the younger generation don't. So let me fill some of them in. 
Following the Taliban's capture of Kabul this weekend, there was a, uh, I want to give you a a two-decade American era in Afghanistan that appears to finally be over. If, unless we try to go back in there and somehow establish another uh, right government, because now it's going to be the Taliban, and that's going to be a travesty, to say the least. But I want you to look at an overview of some of the key periods in that conflict that led up to where we're at now. Because Jesus said, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. I'm telling you, we're in the end time. The, if you go all the way, I'm going to take you all the way back to the George W. Bush administration. Do you remember that the U.S. entered Afghanistan as part of its war on terror following 9-1-1? And there was a goal of defeating al-Qaeda and the Taliban. But what was intended to be this quick and decisive show of force turned into this long and deadly war. Back in 2001, the September 11 attacks on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon marked the beginning of the war on terror. Again, many of you will remember this. And the U.S. went and invaded Afghanistan. In 2003, in May of that year, U.S. Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld announced that the, the major combat operations had ended in the country and that efforts would be shifted to reconstruction. Well, then in 2004 and 2000 to 2006, about a couple years span there, several uh, years of fighting ensued between the U.S.-led military coalition and the Taliban. In that time, the Afghanistan government with U.S. support, established a new constitution and elected um, Hamid Karzai as president. But midway through 2006, Taliban forces were resurgent at that time. So then that brings us to the early Barack Obama years, which were marked by an increased U.S. presence in Afghanistan and after seeing the over, really overseeing the killing of Osama bin Laden, President Obama set out a plan to leave Afghanistan in his second term. Well, of course, that didn't work. And so in 2009-2010, President Obama made a, a renewed commitment to Afghanistan. And that included sending a surge of, I think it was about 17,000 troops to the country and that would have been February of 2009 and of course there was a shifting strategy to focus on fighting the Taliban and Al-Qaeda militants in Pakistan as well so we sent troops there to fight Taliban and Al-Qaeda well now we began this massive withdrawal from troops so what do you think is going to happen Taliban and Al-Qaeda does the book of Revelation frighten you Do its symbols confuse you? For centuries, the book of Revelation has been misunderstood and misinterpreted. In Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, Volume 1, Irvin Baxter unlocks the mystery of the book of Revelation with in-depth analysis and commentary like you've never heard before. 
This 10-part definitive DVD series and 268-page comprehensive commentary book covers the first 12 chapters of the Book of Revelation, featuring on-location photography, classic artwork, and symbolic illustrations. You'll walk away with complete understanding and peace about the events happening during the final years on Earth. These comprehensive study tools, available for $299, will deepen your biblical understanding as you dig into the original intent of the book, answering the mysterious prophecies and symbols of the book of Revelation. Don't miss this special offer. Call now, 1-800-END-TIME, or go to endtime.com to order. Call or go online now to get this comprehensive Bible study. Move Mountains with Irvin Baxter. This book by Irvin's grandson provides 30 days of devotion that will enhance your relationship with God and others. Authentic illustrations from early morning devotions at end time will help you find your purpose and eliminate fears. Commit to taking this 30-day journey and experience real life change. Get your book for only $14.99. Call 1-800-363-8463 or go to endtime.com slash move. If your station only carries the first 30 minutes of End of the Age, go to endtime.com and click the watch button to continue today's broadcast. You can also finish up later by clicking the archive button. So we sent about 17,000 troops in there to fight the Taliban and Al-Qaeda back in 2009-2010. Well, of course, in 2011, many of you remember that the U.S. Navy SEALs carried out the successful mission to go in there and to eliminate Osama bin Laden. Then in 2013, NATO forces led by the U.S. officially uh, handed over security responsibility to Afghan military forces. And the U.S. military stayed on mostly in a, a, a training capacity for specific counterterrorism efforts. 2014, President Obama announced a, a timeline for withdrawal of U.S. troops. But the Taliban were once again active in various parts of the country and the Americans had to stay longer. So in a reversal of policy, President Trump, when he came along initially escalated engagement and promised to fight to win. But he did eventually withdraw some of the forces, but Taliban power continued to grow. That's why, you know, you're, everybody's, uh, a lot of people are questioning, I can't believe um, President Biden has said that early on, a few months ago, hey, if we pull out of Afghanistan there's not going to be any trouble with the Taliban. It'll take them several months and, you know, to come back and think they, they've been coming back all along, everybody. And so the, the, even though we have forces that were um, still fighting there, the Taliban power continued to grow. And there, they were, there were unsuccessful peace talks between the U.S., the Taliban and Afghan governments. I mean, how can you you can't have peace negotiations with a terrorist Organization. How does that even work? Well, in 2017, in about August of that year, President Trump introduced a new policy towards Afghanistan, and he was ramping up the U.S. presence on the ground for as long as it took to win instead of focusing on timetables for a withdrawal. Well, that led to 2019. 
the Taliban and the U.S. government entered into a round of peace talks that one U.S. special envoy described as more productive than they have ever been in the past. But again, a terrorist organization, you think they won't stretch the truth a little bit? I mean, come on. So the two sides reached this tentative peace agreement that involved U.S. withdrawal of troops and a commitment that the Taliban will not harbor other jihadist groups. By September, President Trump had canceled the deal, though. (laughs) So in 2020, in February, U.S. and Taliban leaders signed a peace deal. But of course, it didn't hold because they're they're a terrorist organization, just like Iran and everybody else. So, of course, conflict quickly resumes. And in November, the Pentagon announced plans to withdraw troops as Trump's presidency ended. So... Conflicts resumes, but we're saying, hey, we're just going to pull everybody out. So then President Biden comes into the office earlier this year with a commitment to ending the U.S. war in Afghanistan. And that approach has garnered criticism for the the humanitarian and national security crisis that could arise from the absence of U.S. forces in the region, right? I mean, you can only imagine what was going to happen. It's really pretty easy to see. Well, of course, as as then-president-elect Joe Biden promised to withdraw all the U.S. troops from Afghanistan, well, by April, he said that this process would be completed by September next month on the 20th anniversary of the 911 attacks. Well, as the Taliban closed in on Kabul, uh, then Biden temporarily deployed a total of 5,000 troops to go evacuate the U.S. embassy and... The, the personnel there, and now you, that's what you have in the news right now, is that we, we started pulling our troops out, and hey, guess what? Here comes the Taliban, and they stormed the president's uh, palace, and they were, they were trying like crazy to get people out of the airport, and they were storming that, and it's a, it's a crazy mess over there right now. But wars and rumors of wars. What did Jesus say? You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. Things like that are going to happen. Now, when God comes back, sets up his kingdom here on the earth, that's done. We're going to have 1,000 years of perfect peace on the earth. But up until that point, he said, you're going to hear of these things, but be not troubled because the end is not yet. What's the end he's talking about? The end of this age, his second coming. When he's going to come back, he's going to take care of business. The rapture is going to happen And he will plant his feet on the Mount of Olives. He's going to tear down human government and establish his government on the earth. And then war no more, folks. Now, again, there are many speculating. I just want to kind of bring you up to speed with what's going on in the world here. Because a lot there's all this news flying everywhere. And if you really don't understand the background behind it all, I mean, to a lot of people, it's they're not surprised by what's going on in the Middle East. Every time we tried to negotiate with the Taliban and things, and then we would make a peace agreement and it would fall apart, here comes the Taliban again. Well, what did they think was going to happen when we pulled our troops out of Afghanistan? Knowing that the the Afghanistan troops there couldn't hold, here comes the Taliban. And that's what's happening in Afghanistan as we speak. There are many that are speculating that the appearance of the Taliban victory 
is going to embolden Iran and other, cause they, you know, the United States under the Biden administration was kind of seen like you guys don't have, this was a total debacle. You guys don't have a clue what you're doing. And so there are many that are speculating that this appearance of a Taliban victory will embolden Iran and their terrorist proxies all over the world in over 30 nations and other terrorist organizations to further their cause in the Middle East and around the world. And there are many that are speculating that the United States could face a rise in terrorist threats with the Taliban in charge of Afghanistan. Now, that's where we're at today. Now, my question from a prophetic perspective, hey, and and in many people's mind, will this in some way lead to World War III? Because I know that China and Russia and a lot of other people are saying, hey, the United States is gone. Let's go into Afghanistan and see what kind of uh, reward we can reap from this. Will this in some way lead to World War III or the Sixth Trumpet War? At this point, I do not know. I mean, how will it affect Iran and some of the other nations? I mean, we'll have to see. Time will have to tell. However, what did Jesus say? And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. Now, I'm concerned about this. I want to know what's going on, but it's not going to move me off of my mission to preach and teach the gospel of the kingdom of God around the world until I either go by way of the grave or that trumpet sounds and my feet leave the ground. That's our goal. Preach and teach the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ said, hey, you're going to hear these things, but see ye be not troubled. The end is not yet. Okay? But the thing is, he said, see that ye be not troubled. Okay? Very important here. See ye be not troubled. You say, well, how in the world? All these wars and rumors of wars, that's troubling. How can you be not troubled? Well, Proverbs 18.10 says... The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. You say, well, Dave, what can I do to prepare for some of these things that Jesus said are going to happen? What can I do? Well, I, in an effort to help you, I cannot give you this wonderful stock tip or a, you know, everybody become preppers and go live in a cave in Colorado. That's not where I'm coming at from a a spiritual perspective. The Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. There's only one place of safety and that's in Jesus Christ. When you know I've been born again, I'm ready to meet the Lord. Should he come back for me today or at the time of the rapture, I'm ready to meet him. That takes the troubling part out of this. I live in this world, folks, but I'm not in fear. I'm living in the same world you're living in. But guess what? This old world's not my home. I'm just passing through here. My world's on the other side. That's what I'm looking for. That's my eternity. My eternity with Jesus Christ and all of my loved ones that have been, that have prepared themselves and went on before. That's where I'm at. So I don't go in fear mode. Um, Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. You say, well, I was hoping and praying that uh, Donald Trump would get reelected and that, you know, things would be different. Listen to me. Listen very closely. Do not never put. That's a horrible uh, grammar. Don't ever put your trust in government. Yes, Donald Trump did some good things. 
But Donald Trump is not my savior. Donald Trump did not die for me on Calvary. And I'm not looking to Donald Trump for my salvation. And now, would I, I, would, would I rather see him in there than somebody else? Yeah, definitely. Because taxes are going up. Gas prices are going up. Everything's just went crazy. But when I'm talking about eternal salvation, I'm not looking to a man. I'm looking to Jesus Christ. And that's why the best advice I could give you is be born again. Make sure you're ready to go. None of us are promised tomorrow morning. And make sure that you're, you become affiliated with a good Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. That way you can be in a community of like-minded believers that you can, you, you're not going to have to be alone going through the end time. You're going to be in part of a body of like-minded believers. Get under a pastor that you know will teach you the truth and that's trying to get you to heaven. The Bible says, I will choose you pastors after mine own heart that will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Get in a good church that you can be a part of that will not conform to the edicts of this world governing body or the world religious system. There are major churches here in the United States that are already affiliating themselves with this world religious system. Folks, you cannot be a part of that in the end time. God's going to judge that. Revelation chapter 17 and 18, God is going to judge this false religious system. Do not be caught up in that. You say, well, how can I make sure I'm not caught up in it? Know the word of God. Get in good Bible studies. Make sure that you are part of a good Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. Myself, End Time Ministries, I've got a database of true churches that I know of, and I know what they teach. They're licensed with the same organization I'm licensed with. I know their, the doctrines that they teach, they're scriptural, and I can find you a good church. It's going to be imperative. And so that's the best way I can help you is spiritually. Now, yeah, sure, I could say, hey, there's nothing wrong with storing up a few maybe canned goods and things like that in the chance of any kind of catastrophe, COVID, a hurricane, anything. But we've got to teach and preach the gospel of the kingdom of God throughout this entire world all the way through the end time. How are we going to do that if we're in fear mode? It's going to be impossible. When If I can get you in fear mode enough, the world government, the Antichrist, if they can get you in fear mode enough, you're just not going to want to get out of bed in the morning. You're going to pull the covers up over your head and say, I can't even function. I'm scared to death. Fear will paralyze you. You've got to get out of walking in fear mode and you've got to walk by faith. The Bible says we're not walking by sight. My circumstances do not determine my walk with God and what I can do for God. Because my faith is not in government. My faith is in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one that died for me on Calvary. Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Barack Obama, nobody. Jesus Christ died for me on Calvary. He's the one I'm going to serve from here on. Because guess what? I'm going to spend eternity with him. So I'm going to serve him on this side so I can be with him on the other side. Most of us walk around day by day blind to the prophecies being fulfilled right before us. Every news report brings a new piece to the puzzle in the race towards the final seven years and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, more than ever, it is important for God's people to understand the times in which we are living. 
On November the 12th, 2013, we opened our Jerusalem Prophecy College in downtown Jerusalem. These same courses are now available online for people who are unable to attend the classes in person. We welcome students to join us and discover the link between current events and the prophecies of the Bible. Take your place in the prophecy of Daniel 11.33. Enroll in the Jerusalem Prophecy College today. Go to JerusalemProphecyCollege.com. You know, everyone, Jesus said, think about this statement. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars and all these different things, be not troubled. Jesus did not want us to live in a spirit of fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God hath not given us a spirit of fear. Fear does not come from God. Now, there's a difference in a godly fear. The Bible says um, the, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Right? But it's not talking about, oh, I can't function, I'm going to be paralyzed, i got to just stay in bed this morning. No, no. The fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about a holy reverence for the Lord that if the Bible says to do something, I better line up to that or I'm going to have to pay the consequences. A reverence. It's like a a child's reverence for their father. My father loves me, but yet if I do something wrong, he's going to correct me because he doesn't want me to do that again. He know where I'll end up if he doesn't correct me. That's the way with God. God's our heavenly father. And a holy reverence for him, a fear of God, that's the beginning of wisdom. But the author of fear to the point where God would use fear to put you in a jail cell in your mind. No, no, that that does not come from God. That comes from the enemy of your soul. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God hath not given us a spirit of of fear, but of power. A Christian, a powerful individual. I go up and I lay hands on you and the power of the Holy Ghost can heal you and, and deliver you. I've seen people deliver to drugs, all kinds of stuff. A power, the, the, a, a boldness to go out into your community and win souls and, and be the Christian that you should be. Preaching and teaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And a power and of love. Loving one another. And of a sound mind. Be not troubled. A Christian is not always quaking and just, oh, I'm not going to be able to function. I'm just in fear mode. No. Jesus Christ said, you're going to hear wars and rumors of wars. Don't be troubled by that. You've got a mission from God. Preach and teach the gospel of the kingdom of God around the world. Then the end will come. That's our job. That's in Matthew 24 as well. I I may not get there today. But that's in Matthew 24. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. My circumstances do not determine my walk with God or what I will do for God. And you say, well, has bad things ever happened to you? Yes, I could tell you story after story. Things that have happened to me. But I'm not going to let my circumstances just because I have a flat tire does not mean I can't share the gospel with somebody that afternoon. And just because the water heater goes out or, you know, uh, anything, 
My circumstances do not determine my commission that I have from God. And think about this. When we're thinking about world governments and all the, our government and things, everybody, some people are saying, now oh, there's no hope. You know, Joe Biden, if something was to happen to him and they would get him out of office, we'd have Kamala Harris. And then if something happened to her, we'd have Nancy Pelosi. It's just a lost cause. That is not true. It's never a lost cause when your hope and faith and trust is in Jesus Christ. Think about this. In the faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, by faith Abraham, by faith Noah, it goes all the way down through there. Hebrews 11, verse 32 through 34, the Bible says, And what shall I more say? For the Bible would fail me to talk of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and of all the prophets that had faith in God, and God done many mighty, mighty works through them by faith. The Bible says, who through faith subdued kingdoms. Think about that. These individuals, there were many places in the Bible that one individual, through a prayer meeting and an act of God, subdued an entire kingdom. Even to the point where a global empire, the Babylonian empire with the three Hebrew children and the the empire of the Medes and the Persians with Daniel and the lion's den. They subdued entire world empires through faith. And for us to look at the... um, situation here in America. It's never hopeless. God could turn this around. Now, the Bible says that they subdued kingdoms. They wrought righteousness. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the violence of of, uh, fire, escaped the edge of the sword, uh, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, and turned the flight of the armies to the aliens. And there's much more. The, The Hebrews chapter 11 is full of it. But, it's very important that we understand that how are we going to do that then? How'd they do it? Through prayer. The Bible says we don't war against flesh and blood. My battle is not against Joe Biden. My battle is against the spirits that control Washington, D.C. and control a Joe Biden and a Kamala Harris and a Nancy Pelosi and a Chuck Schumer and all them. My fight is not against them. My fight's in the spirit world against the enemy of America and the enemy of our soul that would try to destroy us. That's the fight. We, we don't war against flesh and blood. We're warring against spirits and principalities, wickedness in high places. That's the fight, folks. And look at how they did it in the Bible. The Bible says they had faith and God acted upon their behalf. And they prayed. Daniel prayed three days. Daniel knew of the decree that if anybody prays to any other God than King Darius, they would be put in the lion's den. Daniel knew about it, but Daniel's prayer life was a matter of life and death. And he went ahead and prayed anyway, and he got cast into the lion's den. And God spared his life. He come out of the lion's den, and King Darius said, hey, what? Guess what? Nobody in my kingdom is going to pray to any other God than Daniel, than Daniel's God. And he overthrew the entire empire because he prayed. Prayer was a matter of life and death to Daniel. Man, I hadn't thought about talking about all this today, but this is awesome. 
Because this is the way we're going to live throughout the end time. A lot of people say, Dave, what are we going to do in the end time? How are we going to make it through this? You're going to be on your knees in prayer. You're going to be trusting God. You're going to be having faith in God. You're going to be connected to a good church. You're going to be born again. And you're going to live for Jesus Christ. That's the only place of safety, folks. You're more safe on your knees, trusting God and loving him, worshiping, living for God than you would be if the entire United States military was gathered around your house. Think about that. You're much more safe trusting and hoping and having faith in Jesus Christ. Now, our military is pretty awesome. And I love them and I thank them for their service. And so don't take what I'm saying wrong here, but I'm just saying Jesus Christ created this old world. And he can, he can turn it on a dime. The Bible says this. Think about this. Let's, let's go through a little more Matthew 24 here real quick. Jesus said, for nation. Now, he's talking about the end of the age, right here where we're at. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And there's going to be famines. Well, we've seen that. There's going to be pestilences. There's going to be earthquakes in divers or different places. Did you know that the word pestilence is the same word as pandemic. So Jesus said, you're going to see pandemics in the end time. Now, I've got a question for you. Could the coronavirus or this current pandemic, could that be the judgment of God? You know, for many of us, the coronavirus pandemic is an event like we've never experienced before. And because it's a disease with not necessarily a specific vaccine or cure. Now, there are some things, ivermectin, hydrochloroquine, things like that. They've been uh, very good in in helping people come out of that. I took ivermectin when I had um, COVID back in November, or I'm sorry, in February of this year. And it helped me to come out of that. But because it spreads so swiftly, because it, it, it can result in death, I know that firsthand that this virus strikes fear in the heart of people around the world. And it leaves us with so many questions, right? Could it, could this horrible pandemic be a judgment from already almighty God, or is it just merely a natural phenomenon? I mean, these are questions that all of us are wrestling with, right? Uh, but Jesus said, you're going to see pandemics and He said, but these are the beginning of sorrows. But the end is not yet. You know, we've got uh, many instances in the Bible. When you think about this question, is the coronavirus a judgment from God? We've got many instances in the Bible where God sent plagues upon mankind because of the wickedness of human beings, right? Look at the Bible. I mean, when God destroyed the world by a flood... Back in the days of Noah, the Bible says, and God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That was back in Genesis 6, 5. Well, guess what? We could put that here today just about. Obviously, God spared Noah because he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was an upright man. God spared him. And there are some upright people on the earth right now. But there are a lot of people that are pretty much just doing whatever they want. I mean, men 
thinking like they can become a woman? Men with men, women with women, ordaining these kind of people in pulpits to preach supposedly the gospel? I mean, folks, where are we at in 2021? I don't understand the mindset. And as a result, to some of these things, God destroyed, well, back in Noah's day, God destroyed all human beings from the face of the earth except for eight people. Noah and his wife, his three sons, and their three wives. And this was definitely a judgment from God. In in the days of Abraham, there were two cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 13, 13 says, But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And because of that, God decided to destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. One of the prominent sins that grieved God so much was the sin of homosexuality. The sin of homosexuality bears the name of sodomy today as a result of the wickedness of Sodom. God sent the prophet Jonah to preach the great city of Nineveh because the wickedness of the city is it was great. And God was instructed to warn the people, uh, Jonah was instructed to warn the people by God, the people of Nineveh, that after 40 days, the city would be overthrown. And when he finally did go tell them, the people of Nineveh believed the warning from God. So all the people repented and fasted and prayed. And because they did that and turned from their evil ways, God granted forgiveness and did not destroy Nineveh. So if you think about it today, I mean, these are three examples in the Bible of God sending his judgment upon the earth because of sin. Well, I'm asking the question today, is there so much sin and debauchery and people are not turning to God that he has sent a judgment? You got to think about that. Say, well, what's the remedy? Get on your knees, pray, turn from our wicked ways and God will heal our land. It's a promise. But are you on your knees? Are you praying? And are you turning from your wicked ways? We need to ask that today because we need God to stay this plague in our land. It's a big question that we need to be asking ourselves and we need to join in prayer over it. This has been End of the Age brought to you by the faithful partners of End Time Ministries. If you're not currently a partner with End Time Ministries, or if you would like more information, we invite you to call us at 1-800-END-TIME. That's 1-800-363-8463, or visit us online at endtime.com.